growing up, my family would always, we had a, we had a thing called a jet ski. Anybody know what a jet ski is? It's like a sea doo deal, you know, like you get on that thing, you get out there in the water and you're ripping it. Yeah, we used to do that all the time as a family. We would go to uh, the, the river or the lake and we would, as a family, get on the jet skis and tear it up. One of the things we loved about this little tiny little small boat is that we would attach an inner tube to the back of it. Anybody ever been tubing before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've been tubing, hopefully you enjoyed it. But something that we did in our family is we normally got on a tube and my dad tried to get us off the tube. Anybody ever have a dad like that? Anybody ever got a family like that? Yeah. All the time, my pops, my pops was always trying to throw us off of the tube. And so what would happen would be is this. We would be on the, um, on the lake. I'd be on the tube with one of my buddies next to me. Normally I'd take someone with me every time. We'd be on the tube and we'd be running it and gunning and having a lot of fun. And we would look over to our left and we would see a huge, like, just decked out boat. I mean, it had the wakeboard rack on the side. It had the little boom pole that came out for all the extra stuff you would do. It had like the amazing sound system you could hear as it passed by. Like the boat was no joke. Like everyone on the river or on the lake would think like that boat is amazing. I'd love to have that boat one day. So that boat would oftentimes pass by while we're on the tube. And undoubtedly, my dad would always look back at this huge wave that would come behind the boat. You know what I'm talking about? The moment where your dad's like, oh, oh yes, this is our moment, you know, and you're on the thing, you're like, oh my goodness, like shivering. You're like, is this really about to happen? And he takes you, your tube, right over this huge wave, and boom, you're up in the air, like three, four feet off the air, like out of the water, and all of a sudden it hits. And if you're still hanging on, it is only because your hand has been caught in the handle and it can't let go. And you're now at this point dragging through the water. Anyone ever been there before? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, so that is tubing. If you've never been, you ought to find you a friend that has a boat and see if you can go with them because it is a lot of fun. What you see, though, is that on the lake, there's this huge boat, and when it passes by, there's a huge wave that's left that all can see. Throughout the Gospels, when Jesus is passing by, there is always this huge wave of change, impact, and influence that happens throughout the New Testament. And many people are caught in the splash zone as Jesus is passing by. Some of them are seen in the Samaritan woman. We've seen that story where God passes through and changes the entire city of Samaria. We also see it through Nicodemus or Zacchaeus or Lazarus, who were all impacted by God when he passed through. We can see it through the lives of the disciples with Peter and John and James all these guys that were normal fishermen or tax collectors or doing their own thing, but when Jesus showed up, man, their whole life was changed. Tonight, we're going to look at a guy whose life was radically changed when Jesus passed by. It's in, if you have your Bible with you, it's in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. It's one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. It's the chapter that the Lord used to call me into ministry today. Um, but it's, it's a passage that I dearly love and have grown to know over the many years of college and beyond. And so Luke chapter 18, it's the very last passage. Let me give you the snapshot of what is happening here. You've got, um, you've got Jesus 
who is on his way to Jerusalem. So let's pretend like that Mike stand over there is Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and on the way there, there's the city of, of uh, Jericho. So he's going into Jerusalem, but has to go through Jericho first. And as he's on his way there, outside of the city of Jericho, on the road, going up, there is a blind man sitting on the side of the road, and he is begging for money from people. So there's Jesus going up to Jerusalem, and there's this blind man sitting on the road on the way. So here's the deal. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse, I believe it's 35. Is that right? Luke 18, verse 35. It says this. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. He's begging for money from people. And hearing a crowd go by, he inquired what this meant. So he's basically, he hears this huge commotion of people passing by. And he's like, what's going on? What's happening out around me? I can't see. I'm a blind man. What is happening? And this is what he says right here. The people, when they're passing by, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Everybody say, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And the blind man, his immediate response was this. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That sounds kind of loud, right? I imagine that's what the blind man sounded like. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And guess what the crowd does? It says right here, immediately after that, it says, Those who were in front rebuked him, telling him, Be silent. They're basically saying, hey, be quiet, dude. Like, quit yelling. Like, he's not going to stop for you. Like, you're like, you're an outcast. Like, why would he stop for you? He's like, just be quiet, dude. And this is what he says. He cried out, but he cried out all the more. He said it again. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, who was passing by, it says he stopped. Jesus stopped and he commanded the man to be brought to Jesus. And when he came near, he asked him, this is crazy, this is what he says. He looks to the blind man and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Like, let me see again. Let me no longer be blind. And the Lord said, recover your sight Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. That's a cool story, right? Y'all believe that's true? That's a real true story? That really happened? Tonight, I want to give you a challenge. My goal tonight is that you would see Jesus through the same lens that the blind man saw Jesus. They're like, but the blind man was blind. How did he see Jesus? Well, I believe through what he says, we can see that the blind man was seeing Jesus through the lens of his heart, not just with his physical eyes. There's three things I got for you if you're taking notes with us at all. Three things for you tonight. The blind man sees, here's the first one, the first truth 
the blind man sees the person of Jesus. The blind man sees the person of Jesus. Like, well, what does that mean, Corey, the person of Jesus? In this passage, as Jesus is passing by and he hears that this guy is coming through, what's the first word the blind man says? What's the first word the blind man says? Anybody got an answer? No, he doesn't say help first. There's the first word he says in that passage. Yeah, say it louder. That's right. Yes, it's the answer that works in church every time, right? All right, so Jesus. He shouts out, Jesus, this, this person believed, although he could not see with his eyes, he believed that literally in front of him somewhere, there was Jesus. The blind man saw the person of Jesus in front of him. This is the one that was born of the Virgin Mary. This was the one that calmed the raging sea. This was the one that would feed the 5,000. This is the one that would give healing to those who were sick. This is the one that would allow those who were crippled and lame to be able to stand up and walk. This is the one who would raise Lazarus from the dead. This is the one that would turn cities upside down, that would call fishermen to be fishers of men. Like This is the Jesus who is able to give sight to the blind. You see, this man, the blind man, saw something deep and valuable and rich in the person Jesus. It wasn't just another person. He really saw Jesus for who he truly was. Who do you see Jesus as? Like, like when you hear the name Jesus, what do you think of? Who do you think of? Because when this person, the blind man, heard that Jesus was there, he thought a multitude of things about this person that were so deep and so rich. It's like if I told you tomorrow I'm getting lunch with a guy named Jerry, y'all would be like, okay, that's great, Jerry, that's cool. But if I told you I was getting lunch with Jerry, my dad, who I love dearly, y'all would say, oh, that's incredible. There's more meaning to it, right? Y'all with me there? The same thing happens here. As this man hears about Jesus coming, he cries out, Jesus! And there is depth to what he's saying. He sees him for who he truly is. Here's the second thing, if you're taking notes. We see this. The blind man sees not just the person of Jesus, but he sees the promise of Jesus. The blind man sees the promise of Jesus. And maybe thinking, well, Corey, what does that mean? What does that mean to see the promise of Jesus? What do the people call Jesus when they, when they, when they hear about them passing by? What do they call him? Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, they say Jesus of Nazareth. So would it make sense if someone said Jesus of Nazareth is coming? When you say Jesus of Nazareth, help me out, right? But what does he say instead? He says, Jesus, son of David. I heard it right here, yeah. He said, Jesus, son of David. And then he says, have mercy on me, just like you said. He says, Jesus, son of David. Now that's, that's weird, right? You're like, is Jesus' dad David? What does that mean there? The blind man believes something about Jesus that the crowd isn't even thinking about. They just know of him as Jesus of Nazareth, but this blind man cries out, Jesus, son of David. That's because the blind man saw Jesus as the Messiah. The blind man saw Jesus as the one who was the heir to the throne of David, the one who was promised to come to take away the sin of the world. This was the promised king 
you're all like, what in the world does that mean? Let me take you back a few thousand years before with a man named David. How many of y'all know about David? The little small guy who beat up on da- uh, Goliath, you know what I'm talking about? That guy who became like one of the most known and valued and favored kings of all the time. The man who was after God's own heart. Well, God comes to David at the end of his life, as he's approaching his deathbed. God comes to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and this is what he says. When your days, God speaking to David, David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie with your fathers, basically when you die, David, I'm going to raise up an offspring after you who shall come from your body. Basically, it's going to be one of your descendants, and I will establish his kingdom. That's awesome. That's great. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Do y'all know of a kingdom of David that's still around, like his, his lineage that's still around? Uh, the answer would be like, no, there's not like a lineage of that kingdom that's lasting forever. That was a promise that one day there would come a descendant from David after Solomon, after beyond those kids that came through. One day there's going to come a Savior into the world. His name will be Jesus, and he will be the true king. He will never lie with his fathers and die. He will never be the one to fade away. His kingdom will never fade away, but his kingdom will last forever And so the Israelites are looking forward to this future king that would come. That's why so many people in the New Testament are saying, this is the promised Messiah. This is the promised king that has come to rule, to bring in the kingdom of heaven. This is him. The blind man understood that this was the promised king. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It says, for unto us a child is born. What does that sound like? For unto us a child is born. Any leaders want to throw out a name? What does it sound like? Christmas? No? Nobody else? Okay. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his head and on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of who? David. And over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Like It continues to go on, but it talks about how one day there will come someone from the line of David that will rule for eternity. The blind man didn't just see Jesus as some random guy of Nazareth. He saw him as Jesus, son of David, the promised one who would come to bring salvation to the world. The blind man sees something more than the crowd. He saw Jesus more, he saw Jesus in a more clear way than the crowd saw Jesus. And here's the last thing he says. He says this, if you're taking notes for us, the blind man sees the person of Jesus. He sees the promise of Jesus, that he truly was the Messiah that was to come. But then here's the last one. He sees this. He sees the power of Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If I'm crying out to someone to help me or to save me or to redeem a situation, I'm calling out to them because they have the power to do it. He's calling out to Jesus because he knows he has the authority to do it. I talk about all the time, I've mentioned it many times about the Philippines, my trips and mission trips I've been on. And I know some of y'all, like, I've heard a couple of these stories before, talked about stuff, but I tell y'all these multiple times because my prayer is that some of you in this room would leave middle school, go into high school, and go into college and beyond, and that some of you in this room would become missionaries. 
that some of you in this room would become pastors. That some of you would wrestle with the call of ministry in your life. My prayer is that many of you in this room would, be, would answer that call to live a life really sold out for the kingdom, whether that be in your workplace or whether that be for missions or whether that be in the church or whether that be in a school or in a doctor medical field, whatever it is, like my prayer is that for you. And one of the things that shaped my life was a moment in the Philippines. I was with my friend Jester. He was my translator at that time. And we had like gone on a far trip away from where our place we were staying was. So we were like really far away from our home. We were traveling late at night. We get to this spot and we end up doing a Bible study with a home. And so we spent the entire night, like almost to like 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, doing a Bible study with everyone in that uh, neighborhood. It's dark at night. It's late. It's all these different things. And we get our stuff ready to go. Like we're packing up ready to go home. And the ladies there are like, the parents, like adults, are saying, please, you cannot go out at night. You need to stay here with us. We're like, are you kidding me? Like, we live like 30 minutes away. We'll just walk home. It's no big deal. And they are begging us, like literally like terrified. They're like, you cannot go out tonight. You need to stay here, please. And finally, I remember my translator, Jester, he looked over to the people there and he said something in Cebuano that I don't know what he said. He grabs his backpack. I grab mine and he leads the charge and we start walking home. And on the way home, I looked at Jester. I said, Jester, like, what did you say to the people and the village we're just in. And Jester said, I told them, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You're like, why did he say that? Because here's the deal. They lived in a culture where they were very afraid of like things in the area. When it was a full moon night, they wouldn't let people go out at night because they were afraid that this vampire lady was going to capture people. I was like, what in the world? They're like, you can't go outside on a full moon night, which is crazy, right? Y'all hear that, and y'all are like, that's wild, right? They went through the next thing, they're like, well, they also don't want you to be out on a Friday at this certain time. You can't do this with this. You need to start wearing something around your waist that this witch doctor made for everyone. Like, they were all these things they were terrified of. The whole community, they were afraid that an evil spirit was going to attack their home if they went out on a moonlit night. And so, Jester looks to them and says, greater is he, greater is Jesus who is in me than he who is in the world. And I tell you that, students, because here's the deal. We are against a lot of things in this world. Maybe there's the pandemic we're in. Maybe there's things we're not knowing about what's going to happen with um, man, election or politics. Or maybe there's the idea of when what's going to happen in your school with like, are you going to be able to be on a certain baseball team or basketball team or a cheer squad or volleyball. Like, am I going to make these teams and be a part of this? Maybe your friends, maybe you are really close or maybe you and your friends are drifting apart in middle school. All these challenges you face, different things that are going on. But I want you to know this. Jesus is bigger than all of your problems. He's bigger than all the trials. He's bigger than all the things that you're going to come up against or face. God is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. That's what it says in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples. And at the end of that, he says, I am with you always. The Jesus who has all power, all authority, is the one who rules supreme over your life. He holds all authority. So why does the blind man cry out, have mercy on me? Because he truly believes, he truly understands, and he truly gets it that Jesus is the one who holds the keys. 
Does that make sense, students? Like this was a guy that was on the side of the street who started his day off by begging for worldly treasures. But when Jesus passes by, he leaves with eternal treasures where he says to him, he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and he walks to where the blind man is and he says to him, he says, what is it that you want me to do for you? You're crying out in real faith. What is it you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, just give me my sight back. Like you're the Jesus who is the Messiah who's come to take away the sins of the world. Like you're the promised one. You're the king of kings. All authority belongs to you, Jesus. Would you please just give me my sight back? You have the power to do it. Would you please? And Jesus publicly says, because of your faith, like looking to the crowd, he says, because of your faith, blind man, I will give you back your sight. You will see. And the blind man, for the first time ever, he's got his eyes that are so dimly lit where he can't see anything. For the first time, he opens his eyes and can see the sky and the sun and the trees and the crowd. I mean, all the people around him. But what is his reaction? What does the blind man do? If you look in the passage, it says that the blind man, when he opened his eyes, he followed Jesus. Can you imagine seeing everything for the first time, but the only thing that really catches your attention is a man named Jesus, who is the promised Messiah and King of Kings, and you say, that's the only one I want to look at, and that's the only one I'm going to follow. I don't even forget about the money I was begging for. I've found treasure far greater than that. I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. That's exactly what happens. The blind man follows Jesus, and the crowd around begins praising God. I want to ask you guys a question today. It's very simple, and it's this. It's, if Jesus were to pass by your life today, if Jesus was to pass by right now where you're at in your seat, and he said, Cam, what do you want me to do for you today? Like, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? If he looks at you right in your eyes and says, what is it you want me to do? What would your response be? In your seat, you should have had a piece of paper and pen. I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to think about and write down, what is it that you would say to Jesus, saying, Lord, I believe in faith, that you are good enough, you are strong enough, and you love me enough Lord, I'm going to ask for you to do this. What is it in your life? What is it if Jesus says, I will do one thing for you. What is it you want me to do? What would you ask him today? What would you say to Jesus? I want to say just a moment. I want you to write down on your piece of paper what you would ask Jesus to do right now in your life. Okay? Hopefully you are coming to a spot where you've written down your stuff. That's not for anyone else to see. That's just for you and the Lord. And let me just tell you, like, just because you wrote on a piece of paper doesn't mean that it's going to happen tonight or tomorrow. That's, that's, it's not like you rubbed a magic lamp and that's tomorrow's deal. That's not it. But 
I think about the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a guy who really needed the Lord to do something. He was praying and asking the Lord for stuff. And finally, he goes before the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he looks at King Nebuchadnezzar with a sad face. And king says, what is it that you want me to do for you? Like, what is wrong? And the Nehemiah asks him this crazy request. He says, I want you to send me back to Israel. I want you to help me rebuild my city and my walls. And I want you to pay for it too. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, done. How crazy is that? I think what's amazing about that story is that Nehemiah gave a request to a king that was so crazy that only the king could meet it. Sometimes, like who, the blind man is not going to ask people to recover his sight for him or help him there. He only went to the one who had the authority and power to do it. And he asked a really crazy request, help me to see again, and God did it. What if you started going to God with requests that were big enough and fit for your king? That's only going to happen when you start seeing the king for who he truly is. When you start seeing Jesus like the blind man, as the person of Jesus, through the promise of Jesus, and through the power of Jesus. When you start to see Jesus like that, it's going to change the way you talk to him, you pray to him, and you ask things of him. And I promise your joy of Jesus, like your joy in following him, will grow and change and be far richer than anything you ever see in this world.